This morning I want to uh, start by talking to the kids. I've been doing this the last couple of weeks and I have enjoyed uh, having a little kids lesson before we, we jump into the sermon. But this morning I want to talk about what is baptism. Do we know what baptism is? Yeah? The, baptism is, is dunking something under the water, right? So I have something over here. I have these toys. I have these toys that my family took to the beach last summer and have not been allowed back in the house because they are dirty, because they have sand all over them. And so what would we do with these so that we can bring them back in the house and play with them in the house? Do you have an idea? Yeah? We could clean them, right? So I happen to have this bucket here of soapy water. And the way that I'm going to do this is I'm going to take these dirty things and I'm going to dunk them here in the soapy water. Because when we dunk them in the soapy water, then it takes all of the dirt and grime off of them and then we're allowed to play with them in the house again, which is what we really want to do, right? Well, the same thing is true of us. We are full of sin. We have been playing outside and gotten full of sin because we haven't been doing what God wants us to do. We haven't been obeying him, we haven't been loving him, we haven't been prioritizing him, and so we also, like these toys, need to be cleaned off so that we can enter his kingdom. And so what do we do? We, we use baptism to show that we get dunked down into the water and cleaned off. Now, does the baptism actually clean us off? No, the, the going under the water and coming back up again doesn't actually take the sin off, right? It, it's, it's helpful for taking the sand off, but it doesn't actually take the sin off of us. That's just a representation of what's already happened within us spiritually. That God has cleansed us so that we can enter into his kingdom so that we're not full of sin anymore. And so he has taken us and he has plunged us in, clean, cleaned us off, taken us back out again. And that's why we do baptism, to show that we have been submerged and cleansed and removed again so that we may enter his kingdom clean of our sin. Well, that's what we're talking about this morning as we look at John the baptizer. That was this guy's job was to baptize people to show that they had been cleaned. And so let's read this from Matthew chapter 3. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going to, out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? 
bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now, the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. We begin here with with, uh, Matthew, who has been talking about Jesus and the birth of Jesus, and now he brings in John, right? He says, now in those days, this is a, a new time period. He's introducing a new time period. We have jumped from chapter 2 to chapter 3 for an undisclosed amount of time. Because in chapter 2, we had the birth of Jesus and him as a young child beginning to grow up. And now we have jumped to in those days when John the Baptist, or John the one who was baptizing, came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. And, And John was a weird guy. He was a different kind of a guy. And there, there were, they were hearing about him, that he was out living in the wilderness, and he was just, he was different, but he was preaching. And he was preaching this message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We have to repent. We have to acknowledge our sin before God, that we serve a holy God, and that we are sinful before Him. And we have to repent of that. Oh God, I am so sorry for what I have done. I am so sorry for not giving you the glory that you are due. I am so sorry for not loving you. I am so sorry for not dedicating my life to the worship of you and the proclamation of your glory in all the earth. I am so sorry. I repent of my sin and I turn away from it. All of those things that do not acknowledge you and do not glorify you, I repent of those and I turn away from them. John the baptizer is coming and he is telling people, look, now is the time to repent. Because the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's right here. For this, Matthew tells us, is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Matthew is is taking the prophecy of Isaiah and he's saying, look, I'm going to take this and I'm going to just highlight for you who this is here. John the Baptist, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching that we should repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And I just want to remind you about what the prophet Isaiah said would happen, that there would be one crying out in the wilderness, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make straight in the desert a highway of our God. Get ready 
because the Lord is coming. I want to read this to you from Isaiah chapter 40, beginning in verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended and that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and every hill made low, and uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. For the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. You see, throughout the prophecy of Isaiah, if you were to read through the prophecy of Isaiah, what you would be seeing over and over again is that Isaiah is telling people, repent, 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 because the kingdom of Israel is going to be destroyed, because Jerusalem is going to fall. Repent. Repent. Here are going to be the consequences for our sin as a nation. For each of us rejecting our God and not honoring Him as God, these are going to be the consequences. And so he was warning people over and over again. He's going, look, guys, here we are in the greatest nation in the world, the nation of God's people, where King David had reigned and now one of his sons is still on the throne and we have been this great place, but we are not honoring God. We need to repent of our sin because God's judgment is coming and we are going to lose this. And then he started saying, we're going to lose this. And afterwards, let me give you the hope, because the judgment of God is coming and the destruction is coming, but there will be a hope after that. There's going to be a hope. The judgment is sure, that's coming, but there's going to be a later hope. And so in Isaiah 40, verse 1, he says, Comfort, comfort my people. Be comforted. Even with the judgment coming, be comforted because there is a future hope. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The judgment of the Lord has come. The sins have been dealt with. And then a voice is going to come and cry out to make way for the coming of the Lord. And, and listen to this. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill made low, and uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. Have you ever gone for a hike? A hike is different than a walk. When I go for a walk around Wilsonville, I love how flat Wilsonville is. There are some hills, technically. But Wilsonville is a lovely place to go for a walk because it's flat. But if you go up into the mountains or go up into the hills and really go for a hike, and you have to go up 
and you find yourself getting so tired, not just because the, the hill is so steep, but also because the ground is so uneven. You don't wear tennis shoes for going for a hike. Because the ground is even, there are roots, there's dirt, that things slide, there's mud to deal with, there's rocks that you're stumbling over. And finally, you get up to the top and you have to come down the other side, which is almost worse. Because you're coming down and you're jamming and the knees are, are dealing with all of the shock as you're coming down this steep hill, this steep terrain. And so what Isaiah is saying is, everything has been really difficult. Let's make this path smooth. Prepare your hearts for the coming of the Lord so that the way to Him will be smooth. Repent of your sin. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And a voice says, cry, and I say, what shall I cry? That all flesh is grass, grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, and the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass, and the grass Grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. And what Matthew has done is he has just in one sentence tied all of that, all of those expectations through the prophecies of Isaiah, he's tied all of that expectation to John. This, this is the voice that we have been waiting for. This is the one who's standing out in the desert. This is the one who was to come. This John, verse 4 says, who wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. This guy that sounds like Elijah this guy that sounds like one of the prophets of old, bringing a message like the prophets of old, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And we often have these ideas of prophecy, the Old Testament prophecy, as though it's these little one-line sentences, and he shall come from Bethlehem, and he will be called a Nazarene, and he shall be called out of Egypt, and he shall be called Emmanuel, and as though it's a checklist and that Jesus, in going through his life, was like, let's see, I was from Bethlehem, check. And I was called a Nazarene, check. And I was called Emmanuel, check. And I was called out of Egypt, check. As though it was just some kind of checklist to go, okay, is this the Messiah? Let's see, check, 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 check. Yeah, yeah, that checks out. That's the Messiah, that's Jesus. Okay, yep, that was all the prophecies. Now, I don't mean to belittle it in, that, in any way. There were very specific prophecies, and Jesus did fulfill them all. But that's not the point of Matthew. The point of Matthew is that God has made these promises, and he's taking it like a needle and thread, and he's putting it in through Isaiah and pulling it out through Jesus. 
and putting it in through Isaiah and pulling it out through Jesus and putting it in through Isaiah and pulling it out through Jesus so that when we in our minds pull that thread tight, the prophecies of Isaiah and the person of Jesus come together and we see the fulfillment of the promises of God and say, oh my God, how great you are that you have fulfilled your promises in this way. So that we have just this one sentence in Isaiah that Matthew references, and it imports all of these ideas that come along with it. That John is saying, here comes the one. Prepare your hearts, because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. Oh, how we wish that when the prophets of old preached to the nation of Israel that they had repented of their sin. Oh, how we wish that they had listened and prepared their hearts so that the nation would not fall, so that the Babylonians wouldn't come in and destroy them, so the Assyrians would not come in and destroy them and drag them off. And now John is saying the kingdom is coming again. This new kingdom, this kingdom of heaven, this kingdom of God is being ushered in. We are entering into that time that we were expecting and waiting for. Because while over and over again, Isaiah had been saying, repent, because we're going to lose this kingdom, but there will be this future hope. They saw the destruction of the kingdom and now have been anticipating the future hope. And John is saying, and now it's time, guys. Now it's time, guys. Get ready, get ready, get ready. Prepare your hearts for the coming of the Lord. Make straight, make smooth the path. Because here he comes. And as he is preaching these messages in this package of a weird man standing out in the wilderness but looking like one of those prophets of old with the camel's hair uh, cloak and the leather belt around his waist and he's eating locusts and honey and then then verse 5 of Matthew chapter 3 then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him and they were baptized by him in the river in the river Jordan confessing their sins they were coming out all of these people were hearing about this this guy who's proclaiming out there by the river Jordan and they're coming out and they're hearing the message that he's preaching and he's telling them repent for the kingdom of heaven is here it's very near and they're saying I repent I repent oh Lord forgive me and they come to John and John says let's demonstrate what is happening here as you are repenting let's baptize you let's dunk you under the water and bring you back up again to represent that God has washed you clean and removed your sin. This baptism of repentance. This baptism that says, I repent, God, of turning away from you. Please forgive me. And as John's out there, as he's preaching this message, and as all of these people from all over the place, right? Look, listen, then from those from Jerusalem and all of Judea and all the region around the Jordan, all of the people in the whole area are coming to John. 
All of them are coming to hear about this, to find out what's going on. And in hearing the message, then repenting and being baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. And here, here then, as that happens, he looks up. And verse 7, it says, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. He just looked at them and said, what, what are you guys doing here? Who warned you to come? Now, I don't know why these Pharisees and Sadducees came out. I don't know what they were expecting. I don't know if they heard about John and they were coming out to evaluate whether or not they thought that this was legitimate. That they had been hearing, oh, hey, have you heard of that really great new preacher? He's out at the Jordan and he's baptizing all these people. He's so weird. He's got this long hair and these funny clothes and he eats locusts and honey, but he's got this great message. You should really check it out. And so the Pharisees and Sadducees come out because, you know, they're the religious leaders here and they know the scriptures. They know when the Messiah is supposed to come and where he's supposed to come from. They know how to observe all of the laws and all of the regulations for righteous worship before the Lord. And they know all of these loser people who don't really know how to live their whole life according to the laws, to live righteously. And all of these simpletons who are going out to see this prophet, they're just going to go out and look at this prophet and they're going to see whether or not this is the real thing. Maybe they're going out to criticize. Maybe they're going out to judge. Maybe they're going out to try and convince people not to associate with John the Baptist. Whatever it is, it does not appear that their purpose is themselves to go out and repent of their sins. These are the most righteous people in all of Israel. They have been keeping the law since they were children. They have been keeping the law since their grandparents were children. They don't need to repent. And here they come out and they observe what's going on. And as they're evaluating whether or not they think John is okay, John turns to them and goes, you brood of vipers. That's gutsy. These are the religious leaders of Israel. These are the most righteous people in all of Israel. And he's calling them a brood of vipers. Vipers are those poisonous snakes that get found among the sticks and stuff. You don't notice them until they bite you. They're super dangerous. You have to watch out for them because you don't notice them until it's too late. And he's calling them a whole brood of vipers. You're like a, a whole group of vipers, just ready to strike. Inject people with the poison that you have within you. 
the wrath is going to come. So bear fruit in keeping with repentance. You think that you are so righteous, but there is no evidence of that. You're not bearing fruit of righteousness. You're not bearing fruit of repentance. Don't you understand that all of the religious ceremony was to highlight for you the need for sacrifice and repentance for all of your sin, that no one can keep all of the laws, that no one can live a righteous life before God. And so everyone has to come to God in a position of repentance, which means humility, which means grace, which means love. And you're not demonstrating any of those kinds of fruits. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Because your self-righteousness is a poison with which you are poisoning the people. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. We, we washed these toys earlier so that we can bring them into the house and play with them. But if they get dirty again, they're again not appropriate for keeping in the house. They need to be cleaned and then remain clean. No longer being defiled. And so we also have to come to God in the same way in a spirit of repentance. And then, not as if that was a one-time thing that happened when we first became a Christian and we repented of our sin and then afterwards were forever clean. Those of you who have uh, children who play, you know you have to wash them continually. You have to wash them in the morning, and when they come in from being outside, and then again after they eat, because they just get dirty all the time. And that's how we are. We're in this world where we are getting dirty with sin all the time, and we have to continually be repenting. It wasn't a one-time deal. We are now living lives that bear fruit of, uh, in keeping with repentance because we are continually repenting of our sin. Now, we don't have to continually be baptized over and over again. It's a, that was a demonstration of what happened to us spiritually, but we are continuing to have a posture of repentance and humility before the Lord. But John says this of them, bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and then verse 9, and do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. You see, th they thought that they had the proper lineage. I have been keeping the law. My parents kept the law. My grandparents kept the law. And I keep the law. I have no need to repent. How often do we feel that way? I grew up as a Christian. I go to church. I read my Bible. I do the things that I'm supposed to do. I'm basically a pretty good person. I'm nice to people. I love people. I'm kind. I'm generous. 
Do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Listen to this from Isaiah chapter 51. Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, you who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were hewn, to the quarry from which you were dug. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah who bore you. For he was but one when I called him, that I might bless him and multiply him. For the Lord comforts Zion. He comforts all her waste places and makes her wilderness like Eden, her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her, thanksgiving and the voice of song. And Matthew just threw a single word. Stones raised up through Isaiah, out through Jesus. In fact, as we were reading through this and preparing this, the, the, the pastors got together on Thursday to talk about the sermon. And I asked the question, how much are you guys going to do in the book of Isaiah? And they said, I, I don't know. I mean, there are a couple of references. And I said, yeah, but have you like read? I've just been reading whole chapters of Isaiah. You just start reading. You, you find this connection that Matthew makes to Isaiah. And so you start reading like the context of what that verse is. And then beyond that, and you just find yourself reading two, three chapters of Isaiah at a time with a whole new lens, right? Some of you are going, you read two or three chapters of Isaiah at a time? When I'm reading through Isaiah, man, that just gets tedious trying to get through all of these Old Testament prophets. I'm doing my Bible read-through plan, and I get to the prophets, and I'm going, oh, man. But when you start seeing how they're fulfilled in Jesus, and so you start, see the reference that Matthew makes back to Isaiah, and so you go back to Isaiah, and you're reading it, and you're going, whoa, this is what that means this is how that gets fulfilled. Here's the Holy One of Israel. Here's the righteous branch. Here's the, the king of, of uh, the son of David who will be the great king. And you start putting together all of these contexts. And, and as we were talking about it more and more, and I said, yeah, because of this context, and I was reading this, and then that you're going to see some more from Isaiah. And pretty soon, now, Eric, who is, is uh, preaching in West Lynn this morning, was going, I think I'm going to have to read a lot of Isaiah on Sunday morning. And Pastor John from Gladstone goes, I think I might end up just reading Isaiah on Sunday morning. And, and as I'm looking at this and seeing all of these connections, it is very tempting to me to say, the way that I'm going to express and expound on Matthew chapter 3 this morning is to read you the book of Isaiah. But we don't have time for that. And so I'm hoping that you'll just write down some of these references because when you make these connections, you see things like stones, being raised up as children for Abraham. And even now, verse 10, even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees, and every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Look, John is talking to them and he's saying, Guys, you have to repent. 
They're going, we're righteous. We're Abraham's children. We're already accepted by God. And he's saying, no, that's not how it works. You have to repent of your sin and bear fruit in keeping with repentance because the axe of the Lord is coming. And it's going to be laid at the root of the tree and every tree that doesn't bear good fruit is going to be chopped down. And guys, there's no fruit on your trees. I have to warn you because Isaiah has been warning you and you know the book of Isaiah. And so as he's making, as John is then making these connections to Isaiah, the, the bells have to be going off for these Pharisees and these Sadducees. As he's saying these things, they should be going ding, 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 ding. Uh-oh. Why are you putting us on that side of judgment? We're Abraham's children. He's going, the Lord is coming. The Messiah is coming. The kingdom of God is at hand and you're on the wrong side. You're on the wrong side, guys. There is no self-righteousness in the kingdom of God. Now the axe is laid to the root of the trees, and every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Isaiah chapter 10, verse 33. Behold, the Lord God of hosts will lop the boughs with terrifying power. The great in height will be hewn down, and the lofty will be brought low. He will cut down the thickets of the forest with an axe, and Lebanon will fall by the majestic one. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and of might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord." Do you see what just happened here? You have the judgment that God is bringing, and John is warning these Pharisees, you guys have to repent because the judgment is coming. And do you remember in Isaiah the way that it was talked about that the axe would come and the trees would fall and this would be the, the judgment that would come? But look at this. Look at the context. I've already read Isaiah chapter 11 last week. Because we remember how we were talking about Jesus being the branch, the netzer, the root of Jesse, the, the root of David. You see, what they don't understand is that the axe is going to come and it's going to cut down the tree. But from that stump, this new shoot is going to come forth. And one of the ways that the, the way is going to be prepared for the coming of the Lord is that these trees are going to be cut down and from that, the Messiah will spring forth. This is the judgment that's coming and he's saying, guys, you have to get right with God. You have to repent of your sin. Because I baptize you with water, verse 11. Because I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, 
whose sandals I am not worthy to carry, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Guys, I'm here to warn you. I'm just the prophet that's saying that the Lord is coming. I'm just here to tell you to repent of your sin and prepare your hearts for the coming of the Lord. But he's coming. And the one who's coming is way, way more powerful than me. He is way more important than me. I I would not be worthy to carry his sandals because I am just the prophet of the Lord preparing his way. But when he comes, he's going to come to baptize with the Holy Spirit and he's going to come and he's going to baptize with fire. And when that fire comes through, it is going to burn up Everything that is not pure. It's going to just burn away all of the chaff. Isaiah chapter 44. But now hear, O Jacob, my servant Israel, whom I have chosen. Thus says the Lord... Thus says the Lord who made you, who formed you from the womb, and who will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen, for I will pour out water on a thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessings on your descendants. They shall spring up among the grass like willows by flowing streams. This one I will say, I am the Lord's. And another one will call on the name of Jacob, and another will write on his hand, the Lord's, and and name himself by the name of Israel. Again in Isaiah chapter 4, In that day the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the land shall be the pride and honor of the survivors of Israel. And he who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem will be called holy. Everyone who has been recorded for life in Jerusalem. And when the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and cleansed the bloodstains of Jerusalem from its midst by a spirit of judgment and by a spirit of burning, then the Lord will create over the whole site of Mount Zion and over her assemblies a cloud by day and a smoke and the shining of a flaming fire by night. For over all the glory there will be a canopy. There will be a booth for shade by the day, from the heat of the day, and for a refuge and a shelter from the storm and the rain. This is what's going to happen when the coming of the Lord comes. He's going to come and he's going to pour out his spirit on his people, and he's going to claim them as his own, and he's going to provide a place for them, a place of shelter and protection. But for those who are not his own, they will be swept away, and there will be only judgment. In fact, as John continues to preach in Matthew chapter 3, in 11, he said, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. And he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And his winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. 
Isaiah 41, verse 14. Fear not, you worm Jacob, you men of Israel. I am the one who helps you, declares the Lord. Your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. Behold, I, I make of you a threshing sledge, new, sharp, and having teeth. You shall thresh the mountains and crush them. You shall make the hills like chaff. You shall winnow them, and the wind shall carry them away, and the tempest shall scatter them. And you shall rejoice in the Lord, in the Holy One of Israel. You shall glory. You know, sometimes as you're reading through your Bibles, if you've got a, a good study Bible or something, it has little notes in there, and you can look in the margins and see this cross-reference. But as I was studying this, I found that there weren't enough notes and cross-references. They didn't get them all. Because there's just way too many connections as, as the prophecies of Isaiah, the, the promises of God through the prophet Isaiah are being met in the person of Jesus. There were just too many connections. So one of the things that I started doing is I started doing word searches. And I just started looking at going, okay, stones. Stones and, and Abraham uh, were, were referenced here. Are there stones and Abraham in the book of Isaiah? Oh, yeah, there are. Okay, what about a winnowing fork? What about chaff? All over the place. And you start making these connections and you can just do simple word searches to start seeing them. And then pretty soon you're just reading large sections of Isaiah and seeing the context and the way that God is referring both to, at that time, uh, the, the coming judgment of the nation of Israel, but also to the future time when the Messiah would come and what that redemption would look like. And you start seeing all of these things being tied up. And then John just pulling all of that and throwing it at the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And Matthew making these connections for us so that we begin to see all of these things being fulfilled so that we might understand that God's kingdom is one of holiness and righteousness. It is the place where He will rule and He will reign and that coming kingdom is here, but we have to repent and be prepared for the coming of the Lord. Because when the Lord comes, He is coming either to pour out His Spirit on you or to sweep you away with fire. An unquenchable fire. He will sift. When, when they go through and they, they harvest the grain, they, they, they cut it down and then they take it and they shake it out so that you get the kernels of grain on the one hand and you get all of the chaff on the other hand. And, and the chaff gets blown away by the wind. Because it's just light and worthless. But if that thing catches fire, it just explodes with all these little tiny combustible pieces. A little bit of oxygen, a little bit of flame, whew, no more chaff. And this is going to be the sweeping judgment of the Lord as it comes through that John is warning people about repent for the kingdom of God. Heaven is at hand. Prepare your hearts. Prepare yourselves for this. And then bear fruit in keeping with that repentance. And so it is my hope that each of us has repented of our sin and come before the Lord and said, God, I want to identify as yours. 
forgive me of my sin. Because Jesus came to do that. To forgive us of our sins. By taking the judgment of the Lord upon himself. And then having repented. That we would continue to bear fruit. In humility. In righteousness. Following our God. I would like to take just a minute for you to quietly, in your own mind, think about what are the things that are keeping you from being in full fellowship with God today? What are the things that are keeping you from unreservedly loving Him and seeking to glorify Him? And then confess those to the Lord. Just write in your heart, write in your mind. Confess them to the Lord and ask Him to forgive you. And then we'll take communion together.